0: Welcome friends, it's Catherine Sidman, Sidco Cat, and this is my podcast. As a cannabis industry professional for the last decade, I have unique access to the experts, entrepreneurs, and enthusiasts who make this industry great. Join me and my guests as we dive into the people, processes, and products that make up this wild ecosystem of cannabis, psychedelics, and emerging medicines. At a recent canadelic show in Miami, I had the distinct pleasure of moderating several panels. Prior to a panel, we usually have exchanged a few emails and we might have a quick chat. Other than that, it's really a chaotic reality show with people who've never met before in front of a live audience. What could possibly go wrong? What does it say about me that this is one of my all-time favorite things to do? Something beautiful comes together when you have knowledgeable speakers, an engaged audience, and room to share expertise and passion. Cannadelic had a perfect combination of a great speaker lineup and a very engaged audience in beautiful Miami, Florida. That is how I met Philip, And when I first met him in person, I had to look down and see if his feet were really touching the ground. He exudes this light, this gentle energy that just seems to float a little. He was spot on during the panel, taking space, giving space, adding words where he could elevate the conversation, but also being so encouraging of the other speakers. When it's like this, I find myself just listening along with the audience. The hardest part of my job is not getting so relaxed into listening that I forget I have to keep it moving. At the end of our talk, Philip asked the audience to stay for a big group selfie and I loved that. The discussion was so led by audience participation that it only made sense to capture the whole room in the memory. Philip's specialty is cannabis hospitality. He elevates the idea of cannabis meals from dinner with a side of kush to making room for a relationship with the plant in each individual heart. When I listen to Philip, I start to make sense of the idea of making my life a warmer and more hospitable place for plants and people. Don't for a minute think I'm downplaying the actual amazing events that he and his team are offering with beautiful pairings of craft flower and heady food at swanky Bay Area locales. I'm just saying that it is that and it's more than that. Philip has a very special way about him, and I'm so glad that he made the time to share this interview space with me. Listen into the chat; I think you'll feel right at home with me, Philip Wolf, and some cannabis. Uh, Philip K. Wolf. We met in Miami for Cannadelic, yes. and got to be on a panel together that was just really, really wonderful. Um, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Could you introduce yourself? Tell people who you are. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so, yeah, my name's Philip Wolf, and um, I've been in the cannabis industry for 12 years. And really, my goal is to um, ignite change through cannabis hospitality. I think there's such an opportunity to be able to um, change people's relationship to the plant um, through vets, um, through how we serve people. And it's a really an- amazing niche because um, a lot of the big MSOs aren't able to even consume with their consumers, you know, and so they run these multi-million dollar companies and they've never even connected with their consumers on a on a consumption level. And so um, with our work, we are the ones who can really help shape that. And so we take it, you know, I love doing the work that we do, but I also take it very serious because Um, again, it's our opportunity that we have to help cultivate these relationships. And so I take that with a lot of pride, um, and also a lot of privilege, you know, I happened just to be, um, you know, luckily I was a white person that didn't suffer from the drug war and I was in Colorado at the turn of legalization. And so I was just very primed to be able to have this, um, platform that I have. And so I want to make the most of it. And um, so I got into the industry, um, opening up dispensaries in Colorado Springs when the medical boom hit in 2009, and then became a cultivation consultant for a number of years. So my background really comes from working with the plant. And um, from there, in 2013, I started working with this Wall Street banker um, who opened my eyes up to all of the insulary businesses that were happening with legalization, which I wasn't able to foresee whenever I was just cultivating at the time. And it opened my whole world. And um, at that point, we started the second ever tourism company behind my 420 tours, along with a plethora of other businesses. But I really took to um, the tourism side of things. And um, I was at a wine tasting in Barcelona a couple of weeks before recreational dispensaries opened up. And I was like, wow, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you drink wine or not. You want to be sitting at this dinner that I'm at right now. And, um, right. you know, in right. 2013 and 2014, it was all, how do we tap into the soccer mom? You know, like that was, that was the, the slogan, if you will, that was being passed right. around. And so I was like, this is how you tap into the soccer mom right here. Right. <laughs> you know, because right. they, they want to be sitting at this dinner. And so I came back and started um, I pitched cultivating spirits to my partners they had nothing wanting to do nothing with it and so I ended up stepping away and starting um, you know from equity in multiple companies and started cultivating spirits and we're the first company in the United States to legally offer cannabis dinners to the general public. Um, and then I created the cannabis pairing process of pairing, which is all done through smoking, but where we pair terpene profiles of cannabis with flavor profiles of food to harmonize and enhance um, the flavors. But more importantly, um, you know, we realized there was a tool there where you could actually identify what type of high you're going to have by being understanding, you know, the organoleptic properties or, you know, the terpene profiles of cannabis. And so, um, along with connecting with your body as well. And so we took that concept and ran with it. And from there, I opened up the cannabis wedding expo at the end of 2015, um, and that's been in 17 markets. Um, I'm sorry, 17 shows across six markets. We'll be in our seventh and eighth markets this year with Phoenix and New York City. Um, but have kind of a backseat there with my partner, Vanessa Oliver, who's really taken that control of that company and, and taking it to great places. And um, and my heart um, right now has been deep into Kishom. And Kishom is a masterclass series for beginners and connoisseurs of cannabis um, and where people will really be able to have the education through their computer or through audibles um, to be able to really cultivate their relationship with the plant. As I kind of spoke at the beginning of the opportunity we have with hospitality. And so now we're turning that into consumer focused education. Um, And it's being structured in a concept of wisdom, science, and application in order for us to really hold on to what we believe is some of the important parts of the plant And um, the essence that it carries throughout our society that's being lost a little bit right now, Um, you know, through, um, you know, people just wanting to showcase the science aspects of it, which are very important, but it's not the whole piece of it. Um, But also, you know, people kind of marketing this plant in certain ways, which I believe limits the full potential of the plant, because to me, this plant has limitless potential based on each individual's body, mind, soul, and even emotional makeup. Um, and so having an awareness around the limitless potential, um, and being able to teach people that through Kishom has been where my heart's at for the last couple of years and it's coming to life and it's coming to market
0: soon. And I'm just thrilled that I I took down about six notes and I hope we can get it. Well, go that was back. a lot. <laughs> well, it was a lot, but there's so many things. There's so many things. And you also said organoleptics, and I happen to know what that big word means. So I'm excited to be able to use that in a sentence. Um yes. <clears throat> because I have this awesome privilege of moderating panels. You know, I'm never on a panel because I don't I don't there's so many people in the space who who are so passionate and doing the work who could speak so technically about the issues. I, I want to showcase them. I mean, I have stuff to say, but I don't have stuff to say on the level that they do. But Mm. I, I can come alongside those people and help facilitate the conversation. And it's exciting. You
1: know, yeah. Well, you you are the best moderator I've ever sat with before, and so that's why I'm thrilled to be on the the you know the show today because <laughs> well, of that. And I hope your hope your listeners have had the chance to see you moderate a panel because you go in there with no agenda and you just open your heart to the crowd and to the vibe, and then you just seep in the questions to set up the experts and ways to really share their passions and their knowledge. So it's uh, know. it's a wonderful orchestration that you do on stage.
0: I appreciate you saying that so much. And I'll tell you what, I have a really hard time taking a compliment. And even I know I'm good at moderating panels.
1: <laughs> I see you. I see you. <laughs> you
0: know what I mean? So so it is yes. It is fun and it's. I'm passionate about it and I love doing it. You know, I go places on my mm-hmm. own dime to do it because I just love doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to... When you, coming from cultivation, and I'll tell you, I've been in the cannabis industry not quite as long as you have, but over a decade. Mm-hmm. And I came to it completely differently. I mean, I've been, cannabis has been in my life, like, you know, since since before I want to say out loud, because I tell my kids to wait till after high school. But um, <laughs> cannabis has been in my life for a long time, but it wasn't part of my career. It wasn't part of my work life until around 2010 2011 when i was selling equipment to aerospace pharmaceutical and electronics like i was selling Uh vacuum ovens to nasa and people started calling who didn't sound like the purchasing department from Langley.
1: <laughs> you got vacuum
0: ovens. I'm picking up on it. Okay. And I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand why these people were calling. I didn't understand why when I said, what's your application, they would hang up, right? They would hang up on me. They wouldn't tell so me. scared. And, and I didn't get it at all. And finally, somebody said, have you ever heard of BHO? And I said, no. And they said, Google it. I said, Google it what the heck is that? so a whole oh, I'm glad I didn't people see people blowing up their houses as the first article. <laughs> okay well yes, right that's no but what I did see is the first article was something from skunk farm research and uh, I leaned into skunk farm I was just talking to Farmer Joe today. I leaned into skunk farm and never leaned back. so love wow. those guys but, yes. but that well, was thank how you for I, that transition. Yeah that was how I came into it. And it, and when you had that moment where you go, Oh my gosh, this isn't just about cultivation and retail. This Mm -hmm. is about cannabis. Everything. I mean, the, you know people ask me young people how do i get into cannabis i'm going to college how do i get into cannabis what do you want to do do that in cannabis you want to be an accountant you want to be a lawyer you want to write you want to be an artist yeah. you're a scientist you're a botanist you're a mathematician what are you yeah. be that in cannabis you're a mechanic you're a hairdresser you're fashion do that in cannabis yeah. it's all there yeah. right Yep. yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, you and, and people try to like change what they're good at. And it's like, if you're good at it, just, do, yeah, stay with that. You know, as long as it brings you joy.
0: Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned, you said you want to ignite change through cannabis hospitality. And so many mm-hmm. things come up for me around that. Part of mm-hmm. it is just the practical challenge of finding accommodations. Mm-hmm. If you're 420 friendly, it's really yeah. difficult to do.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It it is difficult to do. And, um, you know, the number one thing I think to go into that, um, you know, that problem is to um, not be afraid to have the awkward conversation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think that's what's so much limiting for so often is just having the awkward conversation where if you don't know where this person lands or not. And so, gosh, (laughs) the stories I could tell you about reaching out to venues and having the awkward conversation. I mean, it could be in the thousands. And I'm not even joking when I say that, um, over the past, you know, 12, 13 years, what are their Um, concerns,
0: Philip? What are, I mean, uh, so the concerns that I think of would be smell and legality. mm -hmm. Like they don't want to get in trouble and they don't want their Mm -hmm. venue to stink afterwards. Right. Is that it?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, those, those are the, those are the biggest aspects of it. And so, um, you know, so, so issuing the aspect of it being private is really important to make the legalities work. Right. And so you just say, Hey, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of places have, um, clean air acts, right. So that protects people who's built in for cigarette smoke. So Colorado, for instance, which I'm most fluid in regulation wise has the Colorado clean air act. And, but the Colorado Clean Air Act only applies into public spaces. So mm-hmm. technically, if a business closes down at night, you could smoke cigarettes in the business. You know, mm-hmm. if it wasn't open up to the, you know, open up to the public. And so, so, so that's a big thing where you can speak to people about it. So as long as it's private, and then obviously as long as the, um, you know, the owner of the building approves it, you know, um, is something that you'd want. So that's the first area of what you want to address for anyone's concerns, and then. The second part is, yeah, the aromas, you know, and and this is kind of a frustrating conversation sometimes because people associate it with um, sticking into fabrics like cigarettes. So you walk into a a house, you know, the day after a couple cigarettes are smoked into it and the couch has a funk to it and it just smells, you know, and so of course you wouldn't want that in your place of business, but cannabis doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can smoke a joint in a house and and then come back the next day and you're not going to smell it, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you you open up the windows. And so, but this argument is kind of a, he said, she said, and I've never found science around it, you know, that prove that cannabis does not stick into fabric like tobacco smoke does. And so I'm actually going through this in real time right now with a, um, with a venue in Chicago around an event that I'm going to be doing there in, in May. And so, um, so you just kind of have to, what I invite them to do is to be like, Hey, Why don't you ask your friends who consume cannabis in their house and get their opinion, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden now you're changing the conversation to putting them in touch with someone who they trust. And it's not just this, this guy who wants to put on an event at your venue. And then the other parts that you can address is like, what's the amount of consumption that's going to be taken there, right? Like if everyone's smoking blunts, you know, then it's going to take a couple of days to air out potentially, you know, if it's a mass consumption, but our dinner events are tastings, you know, so each person may be consuming a quarter gram total, you know, throughout the evening. And so it's not, um, again, mass consumption of cannabis. Um, and, and so that helps out as well. So you can speak to around the consumption amount that's going to be taking place there. And then there is actually, um, you know, if you want to get technical, you can set up fans and stuff like that, you know, to help with an exhaust system out of it right? That's more technicality than I want to deal with. Um, but it is an option. Um, and then there's also like, um, um, there's some sprays that, you know, just kind of clean the air, like deodorizers and stuff like that. Um, you know, honestly, you can use stuff like sage, you know, sage burns negative ions out of out of the air. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's more of my style is the sage, but sure. you can actually sure. buy sprays and spray it in the air and, and, and clear it up that way. It's so so- interesting
0: because i think that there's okay i'm imagining a, an event with with 150 people with an open bar mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. 150 people with some cannabis consumption and food pairings and uh-huh. i want a sum total at the end of the evening of the perceived impact on the venue by the owner like property damage fights <sighs> messes in the bathroom like i feel like i feel like there's already a certain level and maybe that's part of the conversation you know this is not a binge drinking party so here's the things that you're not gonna have that you would normally be used to if this was a huge messy blowout wedding you know yeah (laughs) i love it we should uh john kajia from new frontier data
1: is a good friend of mine if you know new frontier at all but they've been leading um data and, uh, the cannabis industry, but that's what we should do is get like five venues who allow cannabis and allow alcohol. Right. And then have them track yes. for the entire summer, you know, uh, we'll create a little, um, you know, some questions for them to fill out on a little card at the end of each event. And then we can do some sort of analysis around, um, you know uh you know even a cost benefit analysis at the end of like what was destroyed what extra work hours did they had to put in you know between the two yeah and
0: i think maybe that
1: gives us our data points to start presenting to um to venues
0: yeah i i think so and i think that they accept that level there's a certain level of damage that people accept who have big parties and stuff and i've always been so impressed with cannabis consumption events even big events um I remember my one of my very, very first shows like back in the day, Washington had just passed uh, adult use, Washington and Colorado. Mm. So like 2012, there was a high time show and it said high time Seattle, but it was funny. It wasn't even in Seattle because the city of Seattle wouldn't play. It was like 30 miles north in Everett, Washington in a parking lot somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> it was supposed to be in the in this big those dome. were some good parking lot parties back in the day I remember it was those. supposed to be in this big arena but the arena has a liquor license and so we were yep. all there for the show and they're like oh my gosh we can't have it because they have a liquor license they shut it down so they went out in the middle of the night high times cannabis cup went out and got every park and ride parking lot within like two blocks and just rented the whole parking lot. So the show was literally in parking lots around this arena that they rented out for the two days and people had equipment (laughs) set up. And so, and it was just bizarre. And so we, you know, you were walking, it. it was just this crazy Crazy adventure, and I felt bad. I don't know if you remember the magical butter bus, but there was this big hot pink bus that would go to shows, and the magical butter man. No magical butter,
1: well, but I never saw the bus. Uh, It was a
0: great big bus, and like the magical butter guy would walk around in his outfit. Well, he had already pulled into the arena through the big bay Uh doors before they shut it down, and so his bus, their bus, was in the arena. And nobody else could get in and see it. And they couldn't get it out because they wouldn't open the doors because they were afraid more people would come in. But at that show, show, so here's these guys walking and I'm standing in front of my booth and there was this, there was this guy and he was doing, there was somebody playing music and this, this guy was just dancing and vibing and feeling the music. And then there comes along a group of really tough looking dudes. You know what I mean? Like, While it's on the chain and just looking kind of tough and wearing a little bit of colors and, you know, doing their thing. And this guy doing his interpretive dance bumped pretty hard into one of these larger gentlemen. And I'm sitting there watching it and I'm just a mommy. Right. And I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, no, like he just knocked that guy over. Like something bad's going to happen to this dancing man. I know it great big dude with the wallet and the chain and the colors all turns around and he's like, my brother, did I bump into you? Did I interrupt your dance? I am <laughs> so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And they're hugging it out. And I look at yeah. this colleague that I'm with and I'm like, I didn't see that coming. And he goes, you're used to alcohol. This is cannabis. And it's yeah. a different yeah. scene. Yeah, and you know what, I think that
1: reflects is the feminine and masculine energies of the two different, um, you know, of alcohol and of cannabis, you know, and and I think, um, you know, people try to quantify, you know, why people are more mellower whenever they're high opposed to alcohol. And I think for me, it's, you know, teaching people to understand these different qualities, you know, whenever you're drunk. And you have this very like toxic masculine type of feeling. It's like you want to be aggressive. You want to be outward. You want to, you know, show yourself. You want to, you know, be, you know, very just, um, yeah, like Mm -hmm. you're expressing yourself in very masculine ways um, outwardly, Mm -hmm. right? And with cannabis, you know, it invites a feminine feeling where you actually go more internal mm-hmm. and more nurturing and more softening mm-hmm. within that experience, you know? And so when a hiccup does happen, you're not looking to go like, you know, do this, you know, fight someone or do this outwardly expression. You're more so like checking in with yourself and then you like have a nurturing, compassionate feeling towards the, per- the dancer, right? right? The interpretive right. dancer. And, and um, you know, that's... One of the beautiful aspects of cannabis is the feminine qualities that it possesses. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, Yesterday was uh, international women's day, whatever that means. I don't really know what that means. And I, and by about 10 in the morning, I was over it. Can I just say that? (laughs) Hey, you're, you're a woman. So you're more than welcome to speak to that as you wish. I feel like you could speak to that too, but maybe that's terrible advice. But
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's like, I think it's sad that we have to have days that represent you know, women and International Women Day, like mm-hmm. women should be held on a pedestal each and every day, you know, Black History Month, you know, yeah. pe- you know, people of color should be held on a pedestal every day, yes. you know, I yeah. mean, I think it's like, I think it, it shows kind of a sadness within our society that we actually have to have these celebratory days and months for something that should just be so common knowledge, yeah. you know, maybe that's how um, I was feeling and, about it. I think that's yeah. how I was feeling. Yeah.
0: And also, also a lot of messaging from companies. And, and
1: i may sorry to cut you off. I may add, and it also reflects just the damage that we have done over the years. Mm. And that's why we have to have it, you know, that yeah. representation, of yeah. it, you know, and that's where it's for. And so I do want to acknowledge the, the pain and suffering that you know, again, white men have had, you know, on people of color and then also, you know, women, you know, the fact that it hasn't even been a hundred years and since women could vote and, you know, since people of color could vote, it's, it's just, it's wild. Is that crazy
0: to, to you? About. Is that crazy yeah. to you? It's fucking wild. Yeah. It's so
1: wild. Yeah. Same. You know, like less than a hundred years ago that people couldn't vote. No, in
0: my lifetime, I'm 50. In fact, um, I think I met you on my 50th birthday because I had my birthday oh, in really? Miami. Yeah. So my birthday was Friday. I uh, think we met on Saturday. I'm 50 years old, oh, and I did work. I did work with a company that required pantyhose and full makeup. Like, don't show up to work. Wow! And like that was nor that was kind of normal. And I'm not that old, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not that old. I mean,
1: that's, that's just putting us back into the 80s, you know? <laughs> just 90s. About. Not
0: that long. It isn't that that's long very, ago. Very um, modern times. When we talk about, here's what I love. Here's what I love, and this is the tension that I think exists in cannabis in such a beautiful way your mind gets open I keep going back to you talking about oh my gosh all of this potential in cannabis all of this potential in cannabis but you took all of that potential which could be overwhelming if you tried to you can't grab all of it right Mm-hmm. But you took it and you focused it back in on how do I cultivate a relationship between people and the plant so that it's significant in their lives? So you take this huge opportunity, this big cloud of opportunity, and then laser focus on one part of it that's so specific. And I feel like I love that conversation because when we talk about MSOs and we talk about corporate cannabis, everybody starts to feel very lost. We start to see farmers not being profitable and we start to see sort of prices going down and market contracting. And we feel like it's going to be Walmart cannabis, Philip Morris, Philip Morris cannabis, God forbid Monsanto cannabis, but
1: I have something to say about Philip Morris after your thought, uh, but continue. Please stay at the stream. But
0: when we get lost in that, everything's just going to be corporate cannabis and it's all going to suck. No, it isn't because I can engage with Philip Wolf and I can cultivate a relationship with a plant that's significant to mm-hmm. me. And then I can pursue, mm-hmm. I can pursue it from there outside of mm-hmm. m- big corporations.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I'll, I'll save my Philip Morris comment for just a second. But, you know, it, it, it's like it's, it's such a fine balance, right? Because so many people have been in the industry for a long time. You know, corporate, I don't even say corporate cannabis scares them as much as pharmaceutical, tobacco, alcohol, mm-hmm, cannabis, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and those industries getting involved um, scares us, right? But, you know, there is an aspect of it. And, and I don't even know if I know the correct answer, but I'm just going to kind of speak um, right now about some ways to think about it. You know, one of our goals is to get access to cannabis to everybody in the world, right? Yes. And so there's people who are suffering from medical conditions because they don't have access. And so the tobacco, pharmaceutical, you know, alcohol industries are going to get access through the lobbying power that they have quicker to people, Right. And so now we're looking at, okay, well, is the regulations going to come into place the right way with them pushing the advocacy aspect of it? And We look at California as an example of just how awful that's been um, in so many different ways, um, you know, from the small farmer um, and the farmers, the legacy farmers getting pushed out um, to just the small brands not being able to operate. And, you know, and, and now, you know, heavy prison sentences for cultivation over six plants, you know, and so that's, that's a really scary aspect of it, of anyone who is saying no home cultivation. That to me is, is the scariest regulation that can be put into place because now all of a sudden these, you know, the bigger MSOs are, in, are in charge of our medicine and there's not intention that goes into it. And I can speak to an intention in terroir, um, you know, and if we have enough time um, following this. But so now we ask ourselves the question it's like okay these big companies are they're they're pushing legalization but we don't want to get our medicine from them you know for this for this our personal reasons we'll just call it right and so that that kind of it, it's kind of like well what's more important right now everyone getting access or my preference right or protecting the small farmer right and so it's it's a it's a question that I can't answer and so what's important about it is that we are able to try and to understand that they're here, right? And they're not going anywhere. And so for me to sit here and try to fight these companies or something, it's it's just a waste of energy. You know, we're going to be screaming, you know, from the bottom of a, you know, whatever, a mountain, you know, at these people at the top and no one's going to listen to us, you know, outside of the very few who pay attention to us on social media. And so where I'm coming at it is, again, changing people's relationship because we're working with cannabis and we're trying to fit cannabis in this capitalistic box. And it's honestly not working too well. You know, it's not like these MSOs are bringing in tons of money. They lose a lot of money at the same time. So it's not like they just, they haven't found their sweet spot yet. And I think it's because there's something with the essence of this plant that is not allowing it to fit in this capitalism box. You know, if you look at the history of this plant, it's always been the anti, you know, um, capitalistic, you know, plan. And it's always been alternative and it's always been against the grain. And, and so now that we're trying to, you know, and, you know, put it in our societies, it's just not working in this way. And so I don't need to figure out that aspect of it, of why it's not, I can just see that it's not. And I just trust that there's, um, you know, something a little bit more beyond that is making that not work. And, when we change people's relationship to cannabis, we change consumerism. And the way that capitalism works is that it doesn't matter what the people at the top say, it's going to follow the money. That's what this machine that we've implemented into our country does. It's not the people, it's a machine that follows the money. So wherever the money is going, that's where the machine is going to curate to. And so if we can create more mindful consumers, then all of a sudden That money is going to go into mindful products and it's going to go into products that, you know, hopefully are people who are standing and not branding. You know, they're saying how they're creating environmental impacts and social impacts in positive ways. You know, they're speaking to how quality their product is and the steps that they do and how they support their workers and how loved these plants are um, as they're getting taken care of, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, the big alcohol, big tobacco is going to shift that way. Right. And, and so you even saw um, Canopy Grow do a big ESG report recently that got a lot of play, you know, and um, for people who don't know, that's a, an environmental um, social governance. Right. And so um, and so they did their big report around the impact that they're having. And so everyone's like standing up like, Oh, congratulations. Canopy grow. But it's like, yo, you should have been doing this a long time ago. You know, the only reason you are doing this is because that's what the industry is forcing you to do at this point. And so I hope there's people there that are really well-hearted, you know, but I don't see the acknowledgement of the harm that their alcohol brands have done over the year. You know, I enjoy a good glass of wine, but you can't, you know, and, and, you know, and I understand people die from like drinking and driving. And I've always kind of put that on the person and not the alcohol. But one time someone asked me, you know, they're like, how many kids do you think got beat because of alcohol abuse Ooh. over this past Ooh. year? It's like, whoa, Ooh. you know, like, whoa, <clears throat> whoa. And that's, that's, heavy. that's a thing. And so, yeah, super heavy. And so, you know, let's, um, you know, let's give hope that they will, they're, con- you know, that acknowledgement, because it always starts with acknowledgement first, and it's not being acknowledged, even though some of these environmental and social governance, you know, reports are coming out. Um, But let's just hope that as the consumers wake up, that this continues, right? That this trend continues of them needing to, let's just say, you know, for a street word, act right, yeah, you know, yeah. within, <laughs> um, within, this, within 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 this these realms. And so instead of me shouting at, you know, yes. at these big MSOs, I'm going to go and help shape consumerism, you know, and they're going to follow that dollar. And, and then if they want to come to me one day and say, Philip, how do we do this right? Then I hope I can be a shepherd for them into how they can do this right, you know, mm. and not just... Stay away from them for that particular reason, and so um you really got me on one right now. So sorry for that. I hope everyone's following where I'm trying to connect these dots right now. I see now. it. I'm here you for know? it. Uh, yeah, it's a big topic, and and so um, I want to speak to yes, Philip Morris, I but I want you to ask that question. Yes,
0: Philip Morris. So.
1: Um, I don't know when this will air, but on Sunday, the 13th. So we're um, recording this um, the day after uh, International Women's Day. So I guess we're dating this depending on when it's released. But uh, anyway, um, I'm producing the cannabis dinner at the Berkeley at the Claremont Hotel in Berkeley in, in partnership with the Fairmont Hotel Group. And so really honored to be doing these dinners with them. And then on Monday morning, I'm flying to Austin for South by Southwest, and I was actually invited by Rolling Stone Magazine to attend a thought leadership dinner called Unsmoke the Future that is being put on by Philip Morris. That, okay. So I'm going to be in the lion's den on Monday. You know
0: what? Are you going to be in the lion's den or are you going to be at the table? You know, I I don't know. Are they lions? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. And are lions that bad? If mm. they are lions, like like if there's a product well. people want, I get that it's not good for you, but can I tell you in my life, you know what's been more damaging in my life than cigarettes? Refined yeah. refined sugar, seed oils. Oh, like yeah. like oh. the the idea that the idea that Philip Morris is somehow or that the tobacco industry is somehow more nefarious what we know about the tobacco industry is that we all know it's bad for you and they, and they put it on the package. I wish our food was marked that way. This healthy choice cereal bar that's named healthy choice will fucking kill you (laughs) if you eat it every day. Totally.
1: Oh, totally. Oh, and, and, and super fair point there, right? You know, super fair point that, um, you, you know, I actually think tobacco is a beautiful plant sure. um, and a beautiful plant medicine, you know. And I use tobacco from time to time because it grounds me and also, like, I feel like connects me to spirit. It has this, like, masculine and feminine qualities to it. Um, you know, I think the additives to make it addictive and the fact that they oh, knew yes. it was addictive and the fact yes. that they didn't say anything right now, recording lines of they knew and they didn't say mm-hmm. anything. Um, you know, and, and so what they're saying now with unsmoked, the future is that they are, you know, they're, they're trying to reverse back from, you know, offering cigarettes. They even said something like 15 to 20 c- countries may not offer
0: tobacco sales in the next 10 years. So now, tobacco, I'm not, I don't know, tobacco, but I bet they're offering vape products.
1: Well, it's vape. Yeah. yeah I don't know what don't they're going to do. Well, they're also stepping into cannabis. So I'm really interested to see what they're going to be saying about cannabis. Cause I know they're doing a ton of research around cannabis. Um supposedly, and I don't know if this is true, but supposedly they patented marbleys um like in 1992. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I don't there- I
1: don't know. I don't I, that that could be a complete rumor. I heard that like 10 years Isn't ago. There a blunt? Um, but so I don't know if it's the Lion's Den or not. Yeah. But you have to you have to walk in there with a very keen eye and understanding that you may be in a place where Dangerous rhetoric is trying to be presented in a very kind and sweet way, like a healthy choice bar (laughs) that you should trust.
0: No, it's so so true. It's so true. And I wonder, this is the first time I've thought about it, Philip. Will there be like a blunt equivalent in a vape pod where it's like cannabis and nicotine? I'll bet there will be. I mean, obviously somebody's already doing that. They got to be. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, so a spliff is tobacco and cannabis and spliffs are more popular in Europe than they are in the United States, you know? So, um, so, you know, herbal blends are, you know, really popular in a lot of places outside of the United States and people roll their own herbal blends. So, you know, I mean, I'll even, you know, i you know, I always prefer just fresh flower, but you know, sometimes I'll put a little tobacco, a little like rosebud and a little lavender, you know, there's um like white willow, you know, so there's like some cool herbs that you can blend in together. So I bet in the vape part, I'm sure they will absolutely once the regulations allow for it, because there's barriers into allowing nicotine and cannabis to be mixed at this right. point. So that's going to have to change the of regulation at some point. And once that regulation changes, I I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a thousand percent positive that someone's (laughs) going to launch that, you know, and and maybe that's, maybe that's their first product, you know, and and into the market. Right. So Uh, I
0: think that those barriers, those are some of the things, and and you talk about Following the dollars, right? So spend your money intentionally. Yeah. And then I also broadcast where I'm going to spend my money. I don't just go spend it somewhere, yeah. but I talk about it. Yeah. And one of the things that I do, yeah. and it's a complete waste of everybody's time, but I do it anyway, is every time I'm going to a show or we're exhibiting at a show. I'll look at the sponsorship opportunities and I'll say, are there any cannabis consumption sponsorship opportunities? Because you can go sponsor the mimosa yeah. breakfast. You can sponsor the cocktail hour. You can sponsor the networking event. You can sponsor the beer and lanyards. Yeah. You can sponsor all that shit, but there's no cannabis consumption. I say it every time. Yeah. Because I want them to hear someone asking for cannabis consumption sponsorship opportunities. And we're tired of all of the booze at the cannabis events, you know, or at least I can get fatigued of that. And I think it's important that we ask and I know that they can't do it sometimes. Like sometimes it's that they, they can't, but I want to be part of asking for that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I'm glad that you're opening up that conversation more and more, because I think the more we ask, the more demand will be there. And, um, you know, I have, uh, I've had a conversation with, a you know, a big marketing company in the cannabis space and they do a lot of like, you know, business mixers and stuff like that around the big cannabis showcases and they're wonderful events, you know, and they do a great job, but, you know, I really try to pitch them on, you know, cannabis, you know, and, and just doing cannabis and not alcohol and, you know, what they kind of came back with, which I felt like is a little esoteric thinking, was that they don't feel like the deal-making will happen with cannabis being involved and not alcohol being involved. And that speaks to the masculine aspects of this even more so. And, and yeah. So so that was that was the response that I got um, was around that they were afraid that, like, deal-making and social aspects were not going to happen. But if you curate it in the right way – it can absolutely happen, you know, but it happens more from a heart space place, in my opinion, than from like, oh, I need to go connect with this person because we're going to run this skew, and this person might do that, and blah 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 blah. I can strike a good deal with them if I become buddy buddy with them right now, you know, like that that type of that type of thinking, and so. Um I will say that particular company has actually why they don't advertise it promote it so much they actually have kind of slipped a bud bar in there and in, in the in the way back of the nice. rooms in which people can go have a tasting but it's definitely still like alcohol in five different spots and then a little bit of cannabis at the back you know, end you it's know it's
0: interesting that they formulated that thought I'm kind of fascinated yeah. by that I'm, I'm that's yeah. really really interesting feedback I mean I I guess I'm glad that they had the thought or just at least walk down the, the exercise. Yeah, totally. The event, and, and that might come from their
1: sponsors and stuff like that. You know, I mean, they're, it's a good company, you know, like the one that I'm speaking of sure, right now. So I'll share, I'll share with you off off air. Well, it and it's
0: not, and it's not to throw shade at anybody. And we're just, you know, and obviously there's a lot of people who really enjoy those events and enjoy having a drink. And i and I don't have any problem with that at all. It's that, you know yeah. we're 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 all there talking about the power of this plant and then we still lack access at when we're all together and that's um but we also really don't because we're all we all have a Puffco in our backpack and we're <laughs> and we all have a joint and we're all okay. Um tell me Totally. I mean
1: at Like, I mean everyone was smoking joints outside and there didn't seem like anyone cared at all, you know, within that. But it's still just unfortunate because it still feels like it's like back alley-ish sometime, right? Yeah. You know, like yeah. I had a joint in my back pocket 15 years ago before I was in the cannabis industry, ready to go. Right. You know? And and the fact that it's still kind of that way is, is unfortunate. And you know, I mean um, it's, it's, you know, there's, you know, people throw around the term bro culture a lot, you know, and um, there's still aspects of this industry that really suffer from that, you know? And, and that is, um, you know, that's, let's, you know, let's drink hard alcohol and do big dabs, you know? And like, just bang, you know, super loud music and and not have a flow of the event curated, you know, and and it's just kind of like trappish feels like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that scene at all because that's what the culture was come up on. And it was like, you know, part of the culture that was, it came, you know, that the industry was legalized upon, you know, Um, but at the same time, there's so much more room for growth because cannabis is, a lifestyle medicine that everyone can use and there's such a plethora of you know people who use that walks of life who use it you know like let's get more creative on how we can tap into other people's preferences
0: yeah and and i love when i saw um on linkedin when i saw what's going on at the claremont that's a that's a yeah. super swanky place. That's a swanky place in the Berkeley Hills. I'm a I'm an East Bay girl, so that's where I grew up and went to high okay. school. Yep. And the Claremont is swanky, historic, beautiful um one of those kind of like old but old Bay Area places, but that's been so beautifully maintained over the decades. Mm-hmm. Tell me about having an event there. Mm-hmm. I see Sarah Pyan is uh, listed, and I love Sarah. She's been a guest on the show. Tell me about that event. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, Sarah has been such a wonderful support um, with her working with Apothecarium, you know, to really uh, make this drive because we do have to set it up in a unique way. So big shout out to Sarah right now. Um, And um, yeah, so I was approached by them a year ago um, and they just reached out to me because they were doing these wine pairing dinners to help support the restaurant during why everything was closed. And so they had the ideas of wanting to do cannabis. So I pitched, um, how we could legally do it to the food and Bev director. And then he's like, all right, this sounds good. Like, I think we might be able to do this. Let's get on a call at the Fairmont. So then I have a call with corporate Fairmont because the Claremont is owned by the Fairmont hotel group, which is a, a worldwide luxury mm-hmm. hotel chain. So then I found myself on a call with them, you know, pitched how we could legally do it. Um, and you know, how we want to present and beautify the plant and educate people as well. And she was like, all right, like, let's try this. Let's do it. You know, so we did one virtually um, last March. And, um, and I had sat in on one of their wine pairing, like virtual dinners, you know, and it was kind of dry. You know, it wasn't like, I, I'm sure the food, I wasn't eating How does
0: food, that so. work?
1: So you pick up to go food, oh, okay. Okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. So they, you go to the restaurant, pick up to go food, bring it back to your house. Then you open up your computer and then they take you through and then a presentation. And then you just kind of eat and drink on your own. So you're not like eating the whole time while you're on camera, you know, it's just like a little bit of a presentation. And so, so then we did, we did our virtual cannabis dinner and um, you know, we had a good showing of people that I think really made the Fairmont, uh, the Claremont happy. And then um, you know, there's legalities and how we deal with the cannabis and um, but people were so engaged. They were asking so many questions. People were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm a part of this. This is so special. Like you just felt the vibe and less than a minute of finishing that because the you know corporate people from the Fairmont were on the video okay. and um, she emails me and she was like, that was unbelievable. Like we're going to do this in person. Let me figure it out. We'll be in touch. Love it. And so then uh, over the summertime, we're like, hey, You know, this is how we can do it legally, you know, to, because there has to be two separate transactions because we can't sell cannabis and it has to be private. So that's where Sarah really came in and helped bridge our relationship with Apothecarium. And then she manages a lot within um, making these happens. It's actually, there's quite a lot of logistics to figure out, um, which can be a headache. Um, But we did the first one. um, Oh gosh. I mean, when did we do it? May or June, I think of... um, of 2021 and um and we sold it out and People loved it. Like everyone was thrilled. So then we launched two more of, a, of the events um in the fall. And Corporate Fairmont came to the second one as well as the general manager of the Claremont side at the second one. And they loved it. <laughs> and so they're like, they're all about it. And so we um so yeah, we're continuing the relationship and we're doing three um this spring. So March 13th, April 3rd, and May 1st. Um, these are um private events, but if you find me on my personal social network, Phillip underscore wolf underscore, reach out and um you know we can I might be able to give you a special invitation to the event. Um and um and yeah, I mean, we're just thrilled, and so now it's really beautiful because the Claremont actually wants to grow and build upon what we've done. So I'm bringing in Tina Gordon from Moonmade Farms, and we're really um, going to do this presentation on terroir, and and we're really excited about it because we're introducing the concept of intention into terroir and adding another layer to what that word means. And so this is something that I am just thrilled about because I. Again, as we want to get back into shaping consumerism, the intention that goes into a plant when it's being cultivated absolutely has an impact on the final product. And you can break this down in a very simple way. Terroir means is everything that touches the plant, and it's a wine term, that touches the plant from its from the grape into the bottle, right? So the soil conditions, the weather conditions, um, you know, the nutrients that it feeds on, and then, you know, what barrels you're putting it in, how you're bottling it, the whole thing, right? So that's the terroir of cannabis, of, of wine, but it really sticks into like soils and, and weather conditions and everything. And so with cannabis, we're really trying to create the Appalachians, especially in Northern California, to really help the legacy farmers. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to separate you know, the certain areas and demographics of, of, of where it's grown and how that may affect it. And there's a lot of different areas between Mendo and Humboldt and, um, you know, Trinity. Um, anyway, you're
0: trying to think of Yes, Trinity. Trinity. That's true. what I was thinking. I was like, What's the third no, county I'm thinking of right now? That's where I live, man. We are the redheaded stepchild of the Emerald Triangle. <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> I'm so glad to Trinity. Thank you. Thank you. It
1: takes every piece to be a That's whole. Right. So thank you, Trinity. Um, <laughs> But you know, some people believe more in the theoretical sense of intention and putting into it and being able to connect with the plant. And so some people may believe in that. On the physical level, if a farmer is always pissed off and they're going to treat this plant, then they're going to jostle that plant in ways that aren't helpful. They're not going to necessarily make sure it's watered to the proper amount that it always should. It's not going to when a you know, when a branch breaks, it's not going to just jump up and fix it right away and help the plant because they're angry. They don't care about the plant. So on a physical way, you can tell the intention that goes into that isn't going to make for the best product. So this is the concept that we want to add into terroir, because if we're speaking to everything that touches the plant, then this is something that touches the plant is the human touch. Mm -hmm. And so to not have intention to be a part of the term terroir, to me, is a big mistake. And so this is what we're doing with Kashom is adding in the term intention into terroir. And um, we're going to start owning that within cannabis. And um, and we are really doing the first presentation around this on March 13th with Tina Gordon of Movemade Farms. And I'm just absolutely thrilled. Oh, my.
0: It's exciting. I think so many people... I was introduced to the terroir of cannabis through Frenchie and a lot of his education, yeah. God bless right. Uh, and his work and yeah. the people, um, who are carrying on his work. Um, yeah. But especially being here in the Emerald triangle and in a part of the Emerald triangle that has a very complicated and fraught and angsty relationship with cannabis. It is not, mm-hmm. um, it's not, it's not easy being green here. Um, and when we talk about intention, it's so true. And something for me and, and I, and it's made me rethink cannabis because I haven't given much thought to cannabis. Like uh, certainly, um, I like to know my producer. I like to, if I'm buying something, I want a good COA. If I'm getting it from somebody I know, I want to know that they're growing organic and not using a bunch of crap. Um, yeah, But when I started getting into mushrooms, I got really conservative about who I get my mushrooms from. You know, when I was at Cannadelic, there were were lots of opportunities, I want to say, lots of opportunities (laughs) for consumerism in the cannabis and psychedelic space. And I looked at this dude and there were all these mushroom chocolates and stuff. And I said... Like, who makes these? Where do these come from? Like, good vibes? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we got a mycologist in the panhandle. And I'm like, no, not for me. i just, no. And But it's made me think, and I think, why won't I take mushrooms from just anybody? Because I won't. Mm-hmm. It matters to me. But now I'm looking at my yeah. cannabis and I'm going, why am I taking cannabis from just anybody?
1: Yeah, 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 yes. And that's how we should, because this is what we're putting into our bodies, yeah. you know, this is what we're putting into our bodies. And, and so, um, you know, the intention that mycologists, you know, I mean, I don't know about the terroir of mushrooms as much as I do cannabis at this point in time, but I know it matters, you know, like where I get my psilocybin from, they actually play mantra music to it, its entire there life. There you go. There and, you go. um and, um and it's so beautifully nurturing, held while still can be, you know, take me into deep spaces, it's it's really beautiful, um, you know, to, to have that psilocybin. But, um, you know, this is, at the end of every dinner that I do with Cultivating Spirits, I speak to the fact that we're getting so in, our, in tune with the connoisseur aspects of cannabis, right? And we're paying attention to its finer qualities, which make us enjoy it more, right? And in the, in the colors and the smells, and we're just focusing in our intentions on it. And we're really Diving deep into that. You know, the reason people say stop and smell the flower is because while you smell that rose for three seconds, you're not thinking about anything else in the mm. world besides that mm. rose. Your attention is fully on that. And so there's a really amazing part of recognizing the organoleptic properties and connecting with them, right? And then just being fully present. But then we also speak about, you know, whenever you consume it, how's it going to make you feel? Right. And so we really get into that. Like, that's the real basis. Like, that's the the crutch of what we do, you know, is how that's going to make you feel. And so you can identify the type of high you have before you consume. But the way I ended the dinner every time is that we can do this with everything in our life. Mm. We can do this with our phone. We can do this with, with anything. And how does it make me feel? Mm. Like if I'm if I'm if I'm sucked into Instagram for ten minutes and I come out of it, I'm like, whoa! I do not feel good off of that experience, right? Like we need to fucking pay attention to that and change our ways. But it's so easy to just be, you know, the capitalism just throws so many bells and whistles and bright lights and marketing magic, you know. Like it is, it is like magicianary, magician. You're like a, you know, marketing is like magic, you know. Like it is witchcraft. If you think about what witchcraft is and, you know, in um, certain ways and what marketing is, it's the same thing. So, um, you know, it, in certain levels, it's the same no, thing. But I need are, to really make I sure mean, it that is, are saying,
0: it, not It's part it's the of same, that, but. that the words matter, that we are, that our words are speaking power. You know, some people, like yeah. from my perspective, Like the very first chapter in the Bible, it says God created, he said, let there be light. Like God created the world with his mouth. So we know words are powerful. Other people would call that spell casting. You know, that's why words are powerful. So we we come at it from our own backgrounds in different ways. And as a sales and marketing person who loves Jesus, I don't want to be a witch. However, I can spin a good tale and I can... Like, I understand what you're saying. I can take a product that's really just a product. I can just take something, but I could say, here's why this is significant to you. And here's how you can have an emotional or, or fundamental connection with this product that makes you want to have it in your life. Not that I'm manipulating you, but I'm, I'm saying it to you in a way that creates significance around it. And that is magical. Absolutely.
1: that is magical and that is, and that is magical I, I, absolutely absolutely and um and it's a beautiful thing you know but I also think there's like a fine line in it as well you know because there's so much again of the bells and whistles mm-hmm. in our in our in our space. So it's not the magic of marketing. That's necessarily the problem, but our relationship to it. Right. And so how we allow it to affect us and how we can check in with our own selves, you know? And so that's what I was trying to get at at the end of the the dinners is like, understand your relationship with all of this and pay attention to it. And people are just like, wow, you know, oh my gosh, Sarah Payne is calling me on the phone right now.
0: (laughs) I love her. I love her. She's amazing. Okay. Well, we can, we can wrap it up so that you can get back to Sarah because she is something else. Uh, She has a series through the apothecarium, ask Sarah, all sorts of questions. People come to her with questions. Like I think, you know, my husband has cancer. What, where do I even start with RSO to, I don't understand indica and sativa to I've never smoked a joint. What do I do? Like, Advanced level, beginner level, she answers it all. So follow Sarah because she's awesome. Speaking of Yeah, she's brilliant. You know, um, I can't help but notice that you have a title of Visionary. And I want to tap in. Can I tap into some visionary?
1: Please. Absolutely. I'm I'm open where,
0: book. Where are we going with this? Where are we going with Instagram? Because this is the feeling that I have right now. And it and I'm I'm coming back to what you said about In California, it's a felony to grow more than six plants. It's a felony. Felony. It's a felony (laughs) to grow more than six. Like we're recriminalizing. We're recriminalizing cannabis. Here we are, not even a decade into adult use legislation. Colorado, that was 2012. So we're just hitting a decade into adult use. We're talking about recriminalizing cannabis. huge raids we've got a state of the union address where the president is chanting fund the police very different than messaging that we heard around the campaign and a lot of people ducked in you know because we were hoping for cannabis reform we were hoping for criminal justice reform social media is i mean shadow banning our colleagues the good work that they're doing Mm -hmm. is being hidden it's hard to tap in on mm-hmm. social media. All of these things are happening, mm-hmm. and and I'm looking to you as someone who's given this a lot of thought. And in broad strokes, where are we? Where are we going with this? Because I feel like we're going backwards as we go forward in a little bit, a little way.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 You know, we could spend a whole episode on this because there's so many layers and everything that it is. You know, um, and and so. As we look at all the things that are going, like, let's layer it back and where is it coming from, you know, where, where is, where is this, where are these policies, you know, coming from, like, regardless of what Biden said on the campaign and what he's doing, why are these decisions happening in the way that they're happening, right? Who is profiting off Mm. of this, right? Um, you know, Paul, you know, everyone that says, you know, follow the money, you know, but I was at a Paul Simon concert at Red Rocks and it was so magical. And, and he was just like, whenever you see pain and whenever you see trauma, who is making money off of that? Ooh. Right. Ooh. And so um, I really think about that and I really take it to heart. And so as we think about it, you know, who has money to lose by change? Mm. And it's the established industries that lobby the most. It's who have the most control. Um, and so I don't hate any people, you know, like I had to teach myself to love Donald Trump because if we're going to preach love, um, at the end of the day, we have to love Donald Trump. You know, um, I am, um, you know, I'm saying prayers for people in Ukraine right now. You know, I'm also saying prayers for president Putin, you know, that he doesn't need to feel so scared of his power being taken away where he needs to go do these acts of just, Destruction, drunken, belligerent violence, you know, and, and so we have to as a society come back to the middle ground of love, and or the people who make money are gonna continue to polarize this separation um that is that is there. And and so I look at the lobbyists, I look at these people who are making these decisions behind the veils, you know, and you know how public relations works, you know, in the cannabis industry, when we want to get a story out, it's not, you know, we can say news, this and news that it's all done on a narrative. We can create narratives to what we put out there into a news cycle. And so it's not fake news. It's not this, it's not, it's just narratives that are helping people who are bringing money into these companies that want these narratives carried out a certain way. And so the people who are carrying it out, they don't, it's not like, I think CNN's on it or something like that or Fox or whatever. It's just how the system is set up where they see money coming into this from this person. They're going to do what this person says and not necessarily question it. And then they're going to narrative something into this way, you know, that was in guidance of this public relations person that was in guidance of someone higher on how they can make a certain narrative around the story. Right. And so that's, what's really unfortunate right now. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, you know, and I hope there's not backlash for this, but I'm almost happy that Biden is is going back on everything that he, we thought we were going to get from him. You know, I voted for Biden clearly and um, because we're at such a fertile place of coming out of this pandemic where people really got to tune into themselves and what made them happy. And so as we're in this such a fertile place, people are being jaded right now so deeply by what is happening in our current administration. And we thought so much change was going to happen because we had the House and the Senate. We had everything right. Mm-hmm. Like, great. We're supposed to make this change that we all bought into And and environmental aspects are the most important part for me. And and those aren't being addressed. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my number one topic is protecting Mother Earth when I come to vote. And so the reason that I say that I think it's almost good is because let's not fucking be bamboozled in three years from now. Right. Like, let's not be bamboozled into this shit. And like, let's understand, like, it's not science. It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. Love all of these people. It's the end. It's industry. And we have to look deeper into what these people are telling us and and it's corporations, you know? And we have to stand up to them because they don't have a soul or a presence that worries about the generations of the future because it's not designed that way within the machine, within capitalism. They're not thinking about generations that are three years down the road. They're thinking of their quarter two bottom line and how much money that's going to bring them. They're projecting into consumer habits from a younger generation and how they can make the most money off of that. You know, and and so when we talk about deep change, then that means people are going to be shifting away from these old paradigms that allow these big industries to be successful. And so they see that that's happening. And so they need to grab control of the situation as fast as they want to and so or as fast as that they can. And so this is why we're seeing these, um, you know, we're we're not the promises that we're had are not being kept, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and the next politician is going to come out and they're going to say the same thing. The next politician is going to come out and say the same thing. You know Um, you know, the, the one brilliant part about Donald Trump, I hated the way that he spoke to people, but he came off in a way of like, F the system, you know, although he was manipulating in his own way and he, he, he had a voice to him that was very separate, you know, separating, Mm -hmm. you know, with racist remarks, let's build walls and not open up borders, you know, so it was a complete opposite into, you know, how I would open things up, you know, but that is the one thing that he had and that people gravitated towards him was because, you know, he was trying to call out the system, I'd be it in my belief in his own manipulative way to give him more power and, and, you know, and serve the same patriarchy that has been in control. You know, my sense is
0: that the changes that we want to see, we have to make incrementally locally, starting with our own checking account and our own relationship with our neighbors and our own relationship with our city and our County and our jurisdictions. Like my vote, Nothing matters more than, I don't live in a city. I live in part of a county in rural America. Um, As the farther my vote gets away from my house, the less it matters to me. Uh, And I've been for a number of elections now um, voting third party just because we got to have a third party sometime. And I don't, I feel like I, I just. I can't get behind either wing of the bird that's there. So I'm just voting for something else and that's okay with me. But here's what matters. What matters is my sheriff. What matters is the people making environmental policy and regulatory policy right here where I live. What are we doing with water? What are we doing with forest management? What are we doing right here? And much beyond that. And then my relationships, my local relationships with my local food bank and my local resources, and my local mycology society, my local cannabis organization. Like that's that's go. where I feel like, because I, as a, as a consumer of current events, and I've always been, my whole life, I've been kind of passionate about current events and what's going on and geopolitical mm-hmm. things. And over the mm-hmm. last couple of years, I just got really jaded. I don't know if it's my age or COVID or what the deal was. Mm-hmm. And I look at it, I can make a difference here in my little terroir, where I'm growing my family. Like, I can do this here, Philip. I can't take on the big picture. I can't fix the Ukraine or Washington or cannabis policy. I don't know if you're going into a lion's den with Philip Morris. I don't know shit. But I believe (laughs) that when you walk into that room, you'll make personal connections with people, that will change the way they work moving forward in small incremental ways. And that helps, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Mm -hmm. my focus is on the person in front of me, the people around me, Mm -hmm. the things in real life that I can really touch and fix. And um, that's how I think I can do it.
1: Mm -hmm. So beautiful. And so eloquently said, you know, don't try to change the world, change yourself.
0: You know, I said, I'm and, trying to change my county. I can't change myself. That's kind of a train. Wreck. That's a lot of work. Philip.
1: <laughs> well, there we go. You know, if everyone put in that work, it would be such a beautiful thing. You know, Wouldn't it? Um, I, I love
0: one. Here's um, a, another kind of controversial guy. But Jordan Peterson said, if you can't keep your own room clean, no one needs to hear your advice on the Internet. Like, don't post on social media. Don't post on Twitter unless your fucking bed is made every day, you know? Uh, Don't put your laundry on the
1: internet if your laundry is sitting on your floor at the base of your bed, you know? (laughs) Um, well I will, you know, we can, man, let's have another, uh, let's have another, uh, chat and we can go deeper into all of this stuff because I have like 50 things I want to speak to right now, but we'll let everyone, you know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave them hanging for another episode. So how about that? But I, I do have one real, um you know, solid ask and recommendation for people. Um, you know, it does start at the bottoms up, you know, that's how things are going to change. You know, there's no leader who's going to bring us to the place, you know, it's going to start at the bottoms up. And so, um, I asked people, the first thing you said, it starts with my checking account. Hmm. That was the first thing you said. And people look what your bank funds, look at it. And, it funds the destruction of this earth in so many different ways. And I really urge you all to take your money out and put it in a credit union. Um, You know, there's some banks that are coming up that are refusing to have certain partnerships with certain companies um, because of, um, because of the destruction that's funded, you know, like if you're not into big oil, you're, you know, Wells Fargo supports big oil more than any other company. They, they put the loans out there to them. So your dollar is going into that. You know, if, if you don't, like certain aspects look where your money goes from your bank and change that Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god i gotta change my bank account i gotta change these credit cards it's four hours of your life in total you know making all the changes getting something opened up taking your money out it's a half days of work and that's going to be so powerful and that's how you get the banks to listen and and so um yeah one ask that i'll ask for people is to take their money out of if they have a mainstream bank
0: i love that I love that. And keep it local. And there are also huge advantages in this space, uh, cannabis and psychedelics to knowing your banker and having a credit union um, potentially could be good for your business as well. Philip, tell me, tell me, uh, which it's okay if you're doing something good for the earth and it happens to be good for your business. We don't have to feel bad about that. Right. That's okay
1: we're, 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 stuck into this, you know, I drive a car every day and I fly, you know, and I'm trying to take care of my carbon footprint now these days, you know, like there, there are, we, these, mm, these systems are put in and we can't survive without them, you know? So like, let's just try to do our best and let's, let's try to listen and then let's try to do better, you know? And, and that's all, that's all that we can ask for, you know, is, is to try and to have awareness around it and to try to do the best thing. Cause we're not always going to be able to do it.
0: You Philip, know. I know people are going to want to be in touch with you after hearing this and um, getting to know you a little bit. So tell me all the ways people can be in touch.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, um, personal Philip 1L underscore wolf, just like the animal underscore, um, is a great way to reach me directly. Um, you know, I invite people to go to CannabisWeddingExpo.com if they have Um, you know, wanting to see one of our events around um, cultivatingspirits.com if they want to book a private dinner um, for them and their guests. We're in three different states right now. I'll be expanding more. But really, I invite people to start um, following Kishom um, and visiting that website and putting their email in there and to receive a free masterclass. And so that's really where my heart is at right now is with pushing this, um, to great lengths. And so that's kashom.org, C-A-S-H-O-M.org. Um, or you can go to um, Instagram, kashom.masterclass, um, C-A-S-H-O-M.masterclass and, if they go um, to your, and find us. There.
0: If they go to your website, they can get the masterclass for free?
1: Uh, if you enter your email address, we give you a, uh, one free masterclass. Wow. So, Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be launching this summertime. Um, We'll have some announcements coming up on March 22nd. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a Britannica of like 300 educational videos. Um, You know, I've written a lot of the content, but we have some unbelievable heart driven subject matter experts who've been a part of this as well, um, who are releasing their content. And so we have everything from um, how cannabis makes you feel to the connoisseur aspects of flour and edibles and concentrates to, um, you know, cannabis as a feminine feeling to terpene education, to how to properly serve cannabis, to plant anatomy. I mean, just, it's, it's really robust. And I believe in my opinion, we have education that goes beyond any other education that's out there just because of my, ways of working with cannabis and serving over 3000 people. I mean, I'm just in this position that really no one has had the opportunity to be in, which I'm again, very grateful to, to be there and want to do this the right way. I love it. And so that's cool.
0: I have Philip K. Wolf Cashom.org home.org C A S H O M dot O R G and reach out to you. God bless your work. And I want to hear how the lion's den goes.
1: Yeah, we'll follow up. We'll follow. We'll, we'll definitely follow up. So, um, I'll be the wolf in that lion's den, and we'll see what happens.
0: I love it, Philip. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Blessings.
0: Are you in the market for cannabis laboratory equipment or supplies? Stop right now and go to goodlifegang.tech. The Good Life Gang is an affiliate program that offers discounts on everything you need to build out and supply a cannabis processing lab. Your annual membership will quickly be covered by the savings you'll receive, and you get to go to the coolest parties. GLG meetups are by far the best marketing and network opportunities in the cannabis space. Sign up now at goodlifegang.tech and tell them Kat sent you.